Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, welcome to the latest uh, Trans Euro Express podcast. I'm Danny Kelly. It's an international special this week as the teams warm up for the World Cup. Don't forget, every game is live on Talk Sport Radio on the network somewhere. And myself and Gabrielle Marcotti, who better start to look at the chances of some of the European teams? Tim Vickery will join us from South America to tell us about Peru. Yes, they're back in the World Cup and much else besides. And it's a very controversial poll. You can't take part in it, but you can hear the arguing about it. All that squeezed into two hours. You lucky lucky people oh yeah and one more thing if you're listening on itunes of course you can get in touch with us which means we're going to end the show differently as we have from what we have been doing recently we're going to have a question and answer session with myself and whoever my co-host is anything to do with football anything to do with european football anything to do with european club or international football indeed anything you want to ask go through your itunes ask the question we'll put out the best of them at the end of the show next week on digital radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, Danny Kelly's Trans Europe Express on Talk Sport. Thanks very much to Andy and the boys for the final word over the last three hours. And welcome now to two hours of Trans-Europe Express here on TalkSport. I'm Danny Kelly, as always, and alongside me tonight for what is an international football special. I'm delighted to say, without making any comparison um, with the size of his head to planets <laughs> or other extraterrestrial bodies, I'm delighted to say it's Gabriel Marcotti. Evening, Gab. Great to be with you. Absolutely great to have you along as well. We'll review all this weekend's action so far in World Cup warm-up matches, uh, concentrating, of course, on teams who are actually qualified for the tournament in Russia just weeks away now and every game live here on TalkSport. We've got a European football cult hero for you, but he's more of a world football cult hero in keeping with tonight's show. And um, We've got some musical homework for you. Uh, Simon Calder's travel report will take us to the, I think, largely unknown city of Samara. He'll talk to you about what you might see in the stadium and the city of Samara if you're lucky enough to go to the World Cup. We've got a great and highly controversial poll for you as well. That's all coming up in the next three hours here on Trans Europe Express. Why don't we start um, with this uh, with the poll actually straight away? Because I, I guess a lot of you will have something to say about this. It's simple. Who is the your dark horse to be the winner of the Golden Boot at this uh, summer's World Cup? Who's your dark horse to win the Golden Boot with the most goals? Um, for of course there are favourites, but these are dark horses. We've got four names for you: Dries Mertens of Belgium, Mohamed Salah of course of Egypt, Timo Werner about whom much more in a second. 
um, from Germany, and Radamel Falcao, our old friend Radamel Falcao uh, from Colombia. Uh, so if you want to vote in that poll, you can go to at Danny Kelly Words on Twitter, at Talk Sport on Twitter, and as soon as Gab, Gab and his millions of followers to retweet it, at Gabriel, at Marcotti, just at Marcotti, um, for to be in that poll as well. And of course, we'll accept uh, your brickbats about the people we've missed out who are, don't, don't, you know, don't say Cristiano Ronaldo. Say somebody who is a genuine dark horse to be the leading goal scorer. And we're going to start with our headlines. Our headlines today, normally, of course, they're fantastic puns, often in a second language about football. Uh, this this week, I'm afraid, because international special, they are just the names of countries that we're going to talk about. So headline number one, Gabrielle, is Spain against Germany. Two teams, uh, of course, in, in recent memory, we've always uh, had to look out for as we head into World Cups. And uh, they did us a great favour, of course, of uh, playing against each other this week in order to help us understand uh, what's going on with them. What did you make of the game? Well, I... I Which I should say ended 1-1. It finished 1-1. Um, I was interested because... From Germany's perspective, I think this could be pretty close to to the to the lineup he has in his head. Obviously, should Manuel Neuer be fit, yeah. um, you would expect him in goal. Um, but it, it was interesting to me that, that Julian Draxler is is in there. Um, Julian Draxler had a monster Confederations Cup. Um, he's such an intelligent player. Uh, he he lined up on the wing. He can play in central midfield. Um, he's he's charismatic. He's smart. He's unselfish, um, and I think Love really, really wants him. Now, obviously, if Draxler plays, since Germany haven't yet figured out how to play with twelve men most of the time, um, there's no room for Leroy Sané, sure. and uh, and I think that's going to be potentially one of the battles. But um, I mean, I love Sané. I, I I would have Sané in there, um, but I wonder. I know it's going to seem like anathema, but the other sort of two slots in that line of three behind the striker are, of course, are, are Ozil and, and Muller, who've been there forever. Yep. Thomas Muller didn't have a good year last year. He's not having a, a tremendous season this year. I'm wondering, come tournament time, if, if Draxler is hot, if, if signing is just going to be too good to so keep out of the lineup... Yeah, I wonder if he's going to have a tough decision to make. Uh, of course he is, and not helped, of course, by the fact that Muller got an excellent goal to equalise Rodrigo's opener for, for Spain in this very game. He did. It was one of those goals that he made it seem so easy from the edge of the box where he, he just kind of strides up and he just and belts it. If, if you're a manager, even if you're Yogi Love and you're a manager, you're lying in your bed at night worrying about this part of the team, worrying about that part of the team, having a footballer who keeps popping up with goals in important football matches, regardless of his own personal form or the position you think he can or can't play, it's a great temptation to put him in the football team, isn't it? Yeah, and, and we, we've had this before with Muller, right? We, 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 Germany's dearth of, of strikers. and I mean, I, I don't know. This is one of those things I often bring up with, uh, with your pal, Ralph. Ralph yeah. Honigstein, wonderful Das Reboot. We're all big fans, and you've produced so many wonderful players. Yet, weirdly, they can't produce center forwards. It's, it's a real issue. So you've got Timo Werner, who's, you know, he, he's been talked about since he was 17. Started uh, this game. I started in this game. He's He's been banging in goals for, for, for Leipzig. You know, he's, he's a little quick player. But then you look beyond him. Um, you know who came on for him? Mario Gomez. Well, and, and that's one of the things I wanted to say about the team. I mean, if you look at the... Uh, imagine Neuer comes back. Neuer, Hummels, Boateng, Draxler, Ozil, Muller. Um, then, then you play, go, then you, play uh, you know, go, as you say, uh, up front Gomez comes on. And Cruz and Kadira is really... I mean, if that is the starting... And you might be right about this. If that's his starting eleven. 
it, you know, they've got Chan, they've got Gundogan, uh, Gundogan, whatever I'm going to call him these days. Um, they really, that really is deciding. We've won this thing before. We are course and distance winners. Here is the same team. They've without Philip Lahm. They're, they're they're completely stacked, um, and in those those positions, I wonder a little bit hey, defensively again. Boateng and Hummels, they've been fantastic. It's it's a wonderfully assorted couple, but I don't know that again they're necessarily having the big the, the best of seasons. Although they can easily you know, kick it up several notches at the World Cup. But, um, you know, the only question mark is that left back where... Hector I, is... Our producer, I think, said uh, yeah. he looked like a competition winner Yeah, come out, out of the there. crowd having won a competition, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Hector is... I mean, it's it's complicated, isn't it? Germany is a great football nation. He is the best left back they have. That doesn't make him a great left back, does it? No, no. and And it's one of those situations where, you know, you presume Boateng could possibly go play left back if if needed, um, but then you're looking at you know, maybe Nicolas Sule at centre back, who I think is a tremendous footballer. But then is a Sule Homo's partnership? Do you then maybe have issues in terms of, of quickness over the first step? I mean, Sule moves very well, but you know the the dude's a giant. Or what is he like six foot five or yeah, something? No, you know, Bo- Boateng is the legs in that back that back line, isn't it? And he has to he has to I, play. In the but middle. we are we are we are kind of really nitpicking, yeah. almost oh, intentionally finding fault. Well, and, and you could say the same thing about Spain. I mean, the big controversy with Spain is that Morata didn't wasn't in in the squad, and that uh, Diego Costa didn't start. He came on the second half, but he did play Rodrigo up front. He did score away from home against Germany, but the rest of that squad. I mean, it's, it's so easily. Gab to overlook Spain because we're we're used to a great Spain team ten years ago. But just let me read this: De Gea, Carvajal, Pique, Ramos, Alba. How much know-how is in that back four? Coque, Alcantara, Iniesta, Silva, Isco running around the middle of the pitch, and then they're they're choosing between Morata, um, Diego Costa, Rodrigo up front. They're a good team, aren't they? Yeah, and we didn't mention Busquets, who of course is uh, is injured, but yep. you know he'll be there. More than that, you just you look at the bench, look at the bench, and say like, all right, who's not good in, on this bench? And terrible players like Aspilicueta, Alonso, they're all there. Asensio, aren't they? yeah, really you know, bad. Saul, <laughs> um, they're they're absolutely stacked. I think what what could possibly again, we're we're, we're nitpicking, we're, we're finding yep. fault is as. You know, Guillaume Balaguer has made this point. If the way they play, if you play center forward for for Spain, you're going to only see the ball. Maybe, you know, you're maybe going to get seven or eight touches during during a game, and half of those you'll be expected to shoot and score with with your touch. And it it can be a bit, you know, it, it's not something you're useful used to if you're if you're the kind of center forward who's used to linking up play, who's who's busy, which you know both Morata and Diego Costa are. That's that's the only thing is that you yeah, know, they, ideally they could nationalise Jermaine Defoe, then they'd win the World Cup, wouldn't they? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I'm not. I'm, I mean, he's saying half for fun. He's the he's the kind of striker they they, they need. Um, uh, the, the we'll talk about England and the game against Holland a little later. But what struck me and just to just talk about the quality of this game that we saw uh, in Germany um, was that whereas it, the England and Holland game looked like two teams having a good go at international football. This looked like already these two teams are well settled and ready for, ready for Russia. But again, I think it's continuity. I think, you know, you you look at this, so many of these guys... I'm going to use the overused word quality. There was a lot of quality in the game. 
yeah, it's quality, but it's also because these are people who've who've been there and have played together for a long time. You know, uh, you look at Holland are rebuilding for for the tenth time and seemingly in, in ten years under new manager. England have a system that you know they haven't played in a while. Um, they switch things around, so I think to some degree that's under that that's understandable. Yeah. Um, but you do kind of feel as if the World Cup began tomorrow. Um, Germany and Spain will be ready. I mean, I, I, one of my themes, and we talked about Hector at left back for Germany, and later on we'll talk about France and Belgium and other really, really powerful squads of players where I still can't find four or five, depending on the shape they're going to play, proper defenders. Um, we Spain, De Gea, Carvajal, Piquet, Ramos, Alba, you put Busquets in front of that. Is there an argument that Spain are probably the best defensive-looking team, or certainly the European sides, in this tournament? You know, I was thinking about that. I mean, I, I think Brazil, you know, and you have to expect, obviously, you have to accept that Dani Alves and, and, and Marcelo play the game a little bit differently. Mm. I think Brazil defensively are, are right up there uh, yeah. as well. But no, if you include Busquets as part of that defensive as package, do, yeah. uh, this is pretty special. Now, um, Ramos has a tendency to get red cards. and Or to score fantastic winning <laughs> goals in really important goals. matches, yeah. Again, you're, you're nitpicking. But Jordi Alba, who I think really had a couple really difficult seasons where I thought he was getting by just, just on rep, this season he's been, he's been an absolute monster. Um, he's, you know, uh, I, but then, you, you know, you look behind them and one of my favorite young players in Europe is this guy, Alvaro um, Odriozola, who I think is one of the best attacking uh, fullbacks out there. He's on the bench. You know they, they've got they've got alternatives there too. There's there's Nacho who who very rarely lets you down. You know he may only be a backup at Real Madrid. So no, they they again they have depth. They have options. The goalkeeper David de Gea pretty useful too. So yeah. All right. Let me ask you the last question about these two teams, Gavin. Again, we two months out from the tournament, we're three months out from the final. We're not going to hold you to your answer. These are two teams, and we'll talk about teams that are still scrabbling for identity, but these are two teams that know what they are, have the players who've been around the block. Um, they have World Cup winners in both squads, even now, um, in, in Spain's case. So there is a time when experience becomes old legs. Which of these two sides is, further, is more likely to come a cropper in a, in a way that we can't yet um, predict? I'm going to lean towards towards Germany um, as the ones who who could potentially you know suffer from from what you're talking about, simply because there's more players who've been there a long time. I think Yogi Love is somebody who who tends to be more loyal to players. Remember, he's been here throughout, right? I mean, he's kind of you know he's seen Sammy Kadira literally grow up. Um, but you could make the same point about Muller or or Ozil or or, mm. or whatever else. Um, Whereas with Spain, you know, Lopetegui doesn't have this kind of link with the guys who maybe at some point might be like, all right, you know, we need to move on. Like like Andres Iniesta. I mean, I I, I think if he feels, if he says, all right, Iniesta's time is up or Pique's time is up, if he finds himself in that situation or David Silva. And I, there's no indication, no, no, by the way. That, and I'm not suggesting that. Iniesta's pass for Rodrigo's goal yeah. suggests otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I think Lopetegui is is going to have the freedom and, and the personality to do that. It's going to be an easier decision for him to make 
than it is for um, for, 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 for Yogi Love. And for those of you who are betting people, what you heard there for the last 15 minutes is two people who know a reasonable amount about football, one of them a great deal about football, trying to find reasons why these two teams won't be in the World Cup final in about three months' time. Fantastic squads of players, a good game, a one-all draw which suits everybody in the running to the World Cup. And next up here, we'll talk about two teams who have arguably just as talented as squads, but balancing more precariously on the tightrope of getting it right. We're going to talk about France and Belgium next here on TransEurope Express. Another week on season ticket on Monday nights. Um, no, it was on. That was season on Friday nights, rather. I told the story how, uh, except for George Michael and the uh, person who mixed this, I was the first human being ever to hear this song. Long story, and uh, of course I got it wrong. It was wait before you go, go. I'd slagged off, not Freedom by Wham, which led him to get me around the studio to listen to her, what he was really writing. Um, but there's tonight's uh, tonight's theme for your songs is songs about cheating. Now it can be emotional cheating or any other kind of cheating, cheats and cheating. Um, but as we celebrate Australia getting caught out in Sandpaper Gate in the last 12 hours, I know it's a very serious issue and the Australian Prime Minister has pronounced, I can't stop wetting myself laughing, it's just too good, isn't it? Songs about cheats and cheating. 81089 on the text and tweet me directly at Danny Kelly Words. Okay, next up we're going to talk about France and Belgium. We've also got a poll. Let me just tell you about the poll as well. Um, who is going to who's going to be the dark horse to be or who is your dark horse to be the golden boot win in the upcoming World Cup? Now, of course, that means somebody who wouldn't expect to win it. So people are going nuts saying Mohamed Salah is not a dark horse. He plays for Egypt. Um, they play a completely different system, as as Gavin Marcotti just pointed out to me, than do Liverpool. It's unlikely or probable that they won't qualify necessarily for the round of 16. If they do, they run into Spain or Portugal. So maybe Mo Salah, brilliant player though he is, is not going to get as many games as you might think. So the four people you can vote for are Dries Mertens of Belgium, Mo Salah, Timo Werner, who may or may not start front for Germany. That's the, the, the issue there. Um, Radamel Falcao, who may or may not be past his best, but he's been part of a team that we're going to talk about in just a second. Who did you vote for, Gab? Um, I mean, without seeing the, uh, the odds here, I, I think Colombia are very much boomer bust, um, especially in, in this World Cup. And given that Falcao takes, takes penalties uh, for Colombia... I, I I opted for him. I mean, I, there's not much in it. I'd love to see Egypt do well. I have a, a soft spot for um, the fact that they have a, a goalkeeper who's older than I am and, and not Hadari. <laughs> I even have a soft spot for, for Hector Cooper coming back into the wow. world scene, you know, wow. at, at a big... And, and I love and I love, and I love Mo Salah. I think it's cool. going to be... I, I think it's going to be difficult um, for them to get out of their group, mm-hmm. but... Um, I dare I say I'm actually rooting for them a little bit. Okay. So I, I, I hope they do. But yeah, obviously, if Egypt end up playing Spain in the round of 16, 
it's kind of hard to argue that in four games, Mohamed Salah is going to be the top scorer at the World Although Cup. Although in, in his current form, that would probably be 9, 10 or 12 goals, wouldn't it? So, probably, yes. <laughs> I vote for Dries Mertens just because I felt like it. They are less, uh, I just, because I like him now. That, that's, and I like the fact that he's turned himself into a fantastic goal scorer, having started out as something else. Um, let's talk about France and Belgium. And France first, they have played a game in the recent round of matches. Um, Belgium have not. Um, they started brilliantly. They got two goals up through Giroud and Lamar at home to Colombia. And, of course, it's a good test because they're a team that are in uh, the World Cup. And then Muriel, for the aforementioned Falcao and Quintera, um, got three goals. And France ended up with a tail between their legs. Um, what about the team? I mean, the team they started with, again, looks very like the sort of thing that he might want to start with in the World Cup. Yeah, although the question is Olivier Giroud again. Sure. I don't want to pick on Duchamp, but I will because he gets paid a lot of money to get picked on. He obviously believes that they need a big figure who can hold up the ball and, and convert crosses and knock down crosses for runners from um, for runners from midfield. Um, Those runners in this case being Lamar, Griezmann and Mbappe, wow. I don't see this at all. I, I think not having Pogba in your starting eleven, well, I think, is, is absolutely is absolutely mad if you're France. Well, I, mean, I, I agree with you as it goes. Um, where does he put him then? Because Kante and Matuidi, they do look like a fantastic pairing. Does he does he put Griezmann up front and put Pogba in between Lamar and Mbappe? Does he does he change I, the system? I'm not a big Lamar guy. I don't see a need for Lamar. You can even you can even just simply drop Pogba in midfield with Kante and, and Matuidi. Yeah. Um, incidentally, Matuidi plays in a midfield three. Pogba plays in a midfield three, or you know, as mm. Mourinho tells us he does. So um, when he plays well, Mourinho says that he plays well. He plays in the midfield three. Yeah, he's one of the two eights, yeah. and then and then Matic is a six. So yeah, so it's fine. Put Kante with with Matuidi and 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 Pogba either side, and then play Griezmann on on the wing, and you got Griezmann and Mbappe. If you have to insist on on having Giroud. Or just lose Giroud entirely. And yeah. I mean, you have so many options. And no, I we, think that's, we, that's difficulty for Deschamps. Funny enough, when we were discussing this before we came on air, um, the two of us remember World Cups past. That's one of our, our great uh, strengths, I suppose. I mean, you, you mentioned Didier Deschamps. said, well, what's the best thing he's ever done in his career? And I said he's won the World Cup with France. And then we both looked at each other and you, I knew what you were trying to tease out of me. I said, with Stefan Givash, a useless lump up front. Um, so it could be that, and we're all we're all victims of this. What has worked for us in the past, we think will work in the future. So it's, I'm not saying Giroud is useless, he, but compared to he's not compared to Stefan Givash, but he's won. He's seen that a French team can win a World Cup without having. I, yeah, I, and and I think the other thing, a lot of coaches really like Giroud because he's unselfish. Um, because he passes the ball well for for a big man, or, or they think he does. It's one of the reasons why Conte was actually happy with getting Giroud because he saw him as like a link guy and and, and whatever else. Now, if he's going to be your main attacking terminus for goals, um, maybe you have an issue. Although, again, if you look at his goals per minute for Arsenal, it really wasn't that bad at all. I think he's a good uh, finisher. Um, so then, what's the problem with Giroud? <laughs> There's no problem with Giroud. The, the only problem is if that is the starting lineup we've got, just as Manchester United, you're going to have the press of the world lined up in mixed guys. What about Pogba? What about Pogba? What about Pogba? It's going to become the, the, the tune of the World Cup. I presume France got another game coming up. Um, they have... I, I think Pogba's going to start. And yeah. I, you know, and I, I don't think that there's... there's the, the, I mean, we, we can sit and turn this around all we like, but Pogba is objectively 
the best midfielder they have. Yes. So yeah, you know, that, in terms fine. of two-way midfielder. So and back to my obsession with the, with, with with defenses: Loris, Umtiti, Varane. Yep. Um, fullbacks yeah. again. Fullbacks again. I. I. Mendy's. I mean, injured. Is he not supposed to be fit in time now? I'm not sure he's going to make it. No. Didn't City tweet at some point recently that he's back in training and they tweeted, like, not so fast? Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, obviously the drop-off is, is massive between a fit, you know, properly recovered Mendy and uh, and Lucas Dina. Also because Lucas Dina is basically a purely attacking fullback. Although he had a game for Barcelona. where You know how Barcelona signed that Colombian dude, uh, Jerry Mina, mm-hmm. who's a... Eight feet tall. They played him and Dina together at center back in, in the game, I want to say, like a month ago, um, which was like just the weirdest little and large partnership you've ever seen as, as center halves. Um, but you can get away with Dina over a left back with a, over a short tournament. Uh, and indeed, if, if, if they can find a way to leave both Kante and Matuidi in the team, um, perhaps worrying about the back four will not be the biggest issue. They're going to have a lot of very good defensive players on the pitch. Just to show you again the strength of France's squad, um, as we mentioned that Peg- Pogba didn't play there, nor did Mbele, nor did Martial. Payet didn't even make the squad. Tovan didn't play. Lacazette is injured, and Kingsley Coman is injured. So they're not Tovan, short by of the footballers. Way, Newcastle, uh, Newcastle fans yep. scored, what, Absolutely. 19 goals this year, 17 oh, goals? I, no, hate, I hate the phrase on fire because it's to become a cliche, but he is certainly smouldering yeah. there in, in Liga. And, of course, the, he's another one who wears a special T-shirt I send out to these players that says, just because you failed in England doesn't make you a bad footballer. <laughs> exactly. um, as we know more and more and more. Talk to me about Belgium then because um, I'm... It, look... It's easy to pick again at the failings of the things that Belgium don't have. Uh, they don't have so far a record of converting their fantastic squad of players into a winning squad. And people will continue to say they don't have the greatest fullbacks. Although I think one of them plays for Paris Saint-Germain. So perhaps they're not the worst player in the world. Um, where, where, where do you think Belgium are just now? I mean, I, Belgium are my team because I sort of picked them back when all these guys were teenagers back in the day. I sort of said like whoa look at this ridiculous generation of players and now they're all getting older together um at some point you know they're gonna have to produce um i i don't want to pick on him but mark vilmots was just a terrible manager he was a useless useless coach for that group of players let's you know for yeah yeah, i think for 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 any group of players and and i know some people don't like my uh, my old espn colleague roberto martinez but you know um he's He's a big upgrade over Vilmot, whatever you think of him. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I just think in a short tournament, people catch fire. If you've got a goalkeeper who people have heard mentioned before, who's a shutdown goalkeeper, who can be a shutdown goalkeeper, the way Courtois is. We didn't see it against Barcelona, but he can single-handedly keep you in games. And no, you've the, got the, the, so many attacking weapons, people who can create out of nothing like Hazard and De Bruyne, then... Yeah. You can upset anybody. Look, that's that's the that's the that's the issue, isn't it? We all know um, that Dembele's a good footballer. That Lukaku and Mertens will will get goals. Given them Carrasco, if he finds a place in the team, will do what he does. But most coaches will not be sitting there going, "Well, this Belgian team wasn't very good in in, in the no. Euros, was it?" They'll be going, "Oh my God, De Bruyne and Hazard in the same what, team. What are we going to do?" I, I I think one of the keys is going to be the other centre back. Is is Alderweireld going to be fit and in the right state of mind, and his company going to be fit full stop? I, I think those are those are two of the keys. Yeah, because if if Alderweireld is fit, if company is fit, then they can 
fill their their problem position with Vertonghen, who does perfectly well at left back. Right. Um, if he's if they're not, then we're back to this. You know, we keep being told the fullbacks in many ways in modern football because that's where the spaces are the most important players in the team. And yet, so many of these top international teams have got doubts in that very very position. Who will start in the middle of the of the midfield for them? They've got Witzel, Dembele, Nangolan, Fellaini, um, or will they skip the midfield and get the ball forward to Hazard and De Bruyne? I mean, I think with De Bruyne in many ways often playing deeper this year, I wonder if maybe we might just see one defensive player. Yep. Um, in which case, I would assume it's going to be Dembele. Um, wow. Imagine but, that if they, if, they, if they started Kevin De Bruyne alongside Dembele and they still had forward players before of that. Well, I mean, you know, you're, 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 or even, I mean, even with City, right? It's... Mm. I think it's a 4-1-4-1, but we get yeah. into semantics and stuff. Obviously, sure. you know, you can, I mean, you can find a balance that way, you know. Um, I'd love to see Roger Nangolan when, you know, if he's not on, on Roberto's naughty step because I think a few players make that sort of transition from, from, from defense into being sort of a, an additional attacking player when he runs mm-hmm. forward. I think he also really lifts a team that sometimes can be a little bit a little bit wussy, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, he's got he's got a number of options there. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is, and England, I think, suffered the same thing. Because if you're never successful, and the last Belgian team that was remote successful was Enzo Schifo's team of... Th- it's 30 years ago, though, now, you know. It's one no point in saying Enzo Schifo's name. Half the people listening to my voice don't know who he is. Or Jan Koilemans. Uh, exactly, exactly. The point I'm making is... Unless you, until you start getting to these semi-finals and things, you're going to have a slight inferiority complex. Although when your neighbours are Holland, um, I don't suppose your inferiority yeah. complex is too bad. You rule the Benelux, now. put it that you're way. You're absolutely the low countries champions, no question about that. Uh, listen, you're listening to Trans Europe Express. I'm Danny Kelly. He's Gabriel Marcotti. And next up, we're going to look at two of the other European teams that have their ideas of how they might get into the latter stages of um, the World Cup. That's, uh, that's Croatia with another golden generation of players and Portugal. And let's not kid ourselves, the champions of Europe. Maybelline, why can't you be true? Oh, Maybelline, why can't you be true? You just started doing the things you used to do. As I was motivating over the hill, I saw Maybelline in a coupe de ville. Of course, it's my choice about uh, songs about being cheats or cheaters. Chuck Berry moaning about somebody called Maybelline, but of course, mostly complaining that her lover has a better car than he has. Chuck's songs tend to degenerate into descriptions of motor vehicles. He invented the language of rock and roll, though, so he can do what he likes, in my mind. So songs about cheats and cheating, please. Um, text eight ten eighty nine and tweet me directly at Danny Kelly Words. Uh, we're celebrating Australia getting caught with their fingers in the till, or in this case, in their own underpants. I'm sorry that the poll is causing so much aggravation. Um, because you don't agree that either we've got the right names in for the uh, dark horses to be the leading goal scorer, the golden boot in the upcoming World Cup, 
or you don't understand the methodology. Lots of people going crazy about Mohamed Salah, who's actually winning the, the poll at the moment, and thousands of you are voting at Danny Kelly Words, at Mark Cotty, and at Talk Sport to vote in that. But most Salah, listen, he's with the, with the bookmakers, the people who live in gold houses, and you never see riding around town on a bicycle. Um, they have him as the 25th, the 25th most likely player. He is a dark horse, my friends, because he's playing for an Egypt side that we'll discuss very, very soon. Um, they played Portugal during the week. Um, that, that's all it is. There's no slight on Mo Salah at all to have him here as one of the dark horses. But you can keep giving us your alternative names and continue to vote, as I say, at TalkSport, at Mark Cotting, at Danny Kelly Words, to get your votes in there. And I'll give you the, the moment. Timo Werner, not the favourite centre-forward of my uh, co-presenter, Gabriel Marcotti tonight, currently second among those as likely to be the dark horse in the upcoming World Cup. And that face you're making doesn't work on radio, by the way. No. That's screwing up your face like that doesn't work on the radio. Timo Werner's a very good player. I think the only thing is the diving and the fact that he plays for Leipzig. It's only that. And incidentally on Werner... That's a hell of a Venn diagram in your world, though. Exactly. Um, You know, if he also walked around with a little piece of yellow tape and messed around with cricket balls, then uh, he'd be the great Satan. The other point that uh, somebody came out and, and says, well... How can Germany's center forward possibly be a dark horse? You know, surely he'd be a fit. Well, he's on the same team as Thomas Muller, who who usually, usually is the main goal scorer. Up all the goals, yeah. <laughs> exactly, well, and takes yeah. the penalties. So, and yeah. Sane might be in that side and might be the goal scorer. Yeah, so he so may not even start, you know, Werner, yeah. for all we know. That's why we've picked him. Let's talk about um, uh, two teams with some credentials from Europe. Uh, Gab, during the week, 1-1-1 uh, one, one, one lost. The one that lost was Croatia, who lost 2-0 to Peru. Um, I love, of course, because I'm of a certain age, uh, the idea of Peru one day playing in the World Cup again. Indeed, one day I want to do their team of the early 70s as a, as a cult football team. Um, but uh, uh, Croatia, I mean, again, if you read from the front backwards, Kalinic, Mandzukic, Modric, Perisic, Rakitic, Brozovic, these are all playing for the very, very, very top, very top clubs in Europe. They've got a fantastic looking team on paper. What do you make of them? Not just them, but Inter Milan too. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think the issue here, and and, and then I mean, I look at Ivan Perisic, and when he's having a good day, he dominates games, and you could look at him on a good day. If you make a, a, an Ivan Perisic highlight reel, you figure this is one of the top fifteen players in the world. But he's incredibly inconsistent. He's one of the most inconsistent players in the world. But you know what? He's not even the most inconsistent player playing a uh, Croatian player at Inter Milan. Because that accolade must go to the Bras. Brozovic. <laughs> Marcelo Brozovic, who, who just disappears completely and then and, and sends, you know, balls into the in, in, in into the upper tier, or uh turns into, you know, some combination of of, of Paul Pogba, Frank Reichardt, and God. You know, it's it, it, this is this is what you get. And I think this is kinda what makes Croatia so so dangerous. The flip side, and I think what could be their undoing is is the long running Modric saga, where you know you've got your your best player and you know your 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 real leader, who's got this incredibly not just him but there's other players too, who have this incredibly bad relationship with with the fans and 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 are so hated because of um, well because of decisions that they made. I mean, this that's one of the big distractions for this uh, this uh, Croatian team, definitely, and it's a chance, I guess. For people like Modric, who's a centre of all of that, to redeem himself, but we'll see. But also, I mean, Brozovic, 
isn't he distracted by going on? I mean, I think he's suing people left, right, and centre for saying that his own personal life is a, is um how can I put it colourful. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, and I probably probably won't go there because he's yeah. his, his lawyers are litigious anyway. Yeah. But yeah, he's just got a ton of things going on. He's you know, and I, I've spoken to people at Inter about this, and and you see him in training, and you see him on a good day, and and and, and he just dominates, you know. Um, but then he also goes missing for like a month at a time. Such is the the febrile nature of people's imaginations that now I've said colourful private life. Um, people are saying all kinds of things on Twitter. Right? No, no. He's been, there was a press thing about him um, having relations with one of his teammates' wives. That's all it was. Come on, I'm not going to say who it was because, yeah, and I won't. I won't say a cardi. No, I won't. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Um, just for familiarity's sake, another issue here. Uh, mention all those players playing for the great clubs of Europe and Inter Milan, as you so uh, snidely put it. Um, but Vedran Choluka is still. Um, one of their centre-backs, or at least he's pretty starting this game against Peru. Though it is fair to say that the team he plays for in Russia are top of the table. He's um, a captain too, Lokomotiv yeah. Moscow. Yeah, uh, I mean, Vedran, even when he was playing, I loved him when he played at Spurs, for instance, but he was slow then, and that's a decade ago. Yeah, but the guy alongside him, Domagoj Vida, is, is a really, really, I, I think, is, is one of the, the most underrated centre-backs um, around. And But you're right, it, it is an issue because, you know, in front of them, uh, certainly this lineup we saw against Peru, you know, you have you have Rakitic, and you can ask him to hold, and, and he'll do that. He's done Busquets' impressions, but mm-hmm. does he necessarily want to do it with a national team? And then you have Brozovic, who's liable to just, you know, disappear in the middle of games, become ethereal, as he sometimes does. So, you know, you could see... I I think this is one defense is probably going to be most comfortable if they defend deep. Put it that way. Yeah, man. As I, I, I say, we're, we're making the case for a lot of teams here. I don't... I I think Croatia's... Great golden generation is probably, despite all these names on this on this team sheet, and I stand to be corrected. Um, they are, in of course, in a group with uh, Nigeria, Iceland, and Argentina. I stand to be corrected, but I think this might be a last hurrah for them. It's a tough uh, group. Too. So it is a tough group, exactly that. Um, some could be said, perhaps, for Portugal, but of course they just go on their merry way. Um, and here is the, uh, the, the during the week they played Egypt. Of course, Mo Salah scored. Of course, he did uh, to put them uh, to put Egypt into the lead. Um, after 91 minutes and of course Portugal won the match because Cristiano Ronaldo scored <laughs> in the 92nd and 94th minute when no doubt he roused himself um, turns himself towards the cameras and got two late goals um, we're going to hear a little later in our cult football uh, about the all time leading goal scorer in international football but he is one day going to be overtaken by this fella and you know it's no point in saying Portugal too reliant on Cristiano Ronaldo because he's utterly reliable uh, yeah and uh you know he's got he's got a different set of legs. Remember last time at the Euros, it was Karajma and Nani uh, alongside him. Mm-hmm. You know now he's got Andre Silva, who at least runs around a lot. Um, probably because he's also well rested from not playing much for uh, for AC Milan. And Neves is, is a, a, an upgrade possibly on on some of the people they've played even then, even two years ago. Yeah, and there's still guys like like Danilo who could who could come mm-hmm. back. Um, you know, <laughs> you look in defense, and maybe that's where you're. You're a little bit concerned again, you know, Rolando and uh, and uh, Bruno. They they're no Jose Font, are they? <laughs> no, no. Um, they're no Pepe either. But 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 you know, you have the quality going forward, and they showed at the Euros this tremendous pe- team spirit, this tremendous working for each other, and uh, and look, if, if Ronaldo catches fire, um, you know, there's a reason he's got 81 
international goals, which is just extraordinary. Three more, and he passes Ferenc Pushkas into second place. I know, and then when and then and then you're talking, you know, we'll talk a little later about who is still ahead of him. But once you're passing Pushkas, you, you know, there's there's you've you've already overtaken God. Now there's Pushkas, and you're <laughs> you're getting out of extraordinary yeah. places. Um, they play Spain. Um, obviously, in the in the in, well, they're in the group with, with Spain, um, Morocco, and Iran, and one would should never underestimate the, the, these teams coming out of non out of the rest of the world because I'm some of, some of them even certainly me maybe even you not quite sure how they'll how they'll uh, line up and play against these teams. But uh, that game between Portugal and Spain is is important because I'm not sure where it comes in the, in, the, in the does it come in early in the piece or, or late. It's in the, the first piece? game. Okay, so they can't they can't quite um, organize the group, or if it be in the third game. No, and I think it could it could have you know it, it could have it could have knock on effects if it's anything but a draw. You know, um, it, it, it's it's the kind of thing that uh, you know if, if if Spain win this game, then Portugal are already kind of with their backs to the wall. Um, if Portugal upset the apple cart, it gets ugly very quickly. You know, it's uh, yes, yeah, good it's good group business. Yeah, yeah. And very quickly, I mean, with Bernardo Silva and Neves coming into the squad, um, you could, Portugal were unbelievably careful. Let's not call them negative. They were very careful in the Euros. We might see, could we possibly see a little bit more flair from them? Um, possibly. I mean, you know, Fernando Santos is, is the kind of manager who, he gets very emotional. He doesn't like being called defensive, but he knows how to, he knows how to organize a team. He knows how to make people... You know, so to make, make people look good. I mean, I, I think back to that Euro, and um, he certainly he changes midfield in every single game. You know, he changed the, the foursome. Um, you know, it, and, and he will do that. He he he's he's one of those guys who really does not believe in a settled lineup. He believes in tailoring his lineup to the opposition, and and that can be very very awkward. I think in a, in a short tournament. Okay, listen, thank you very much indeed for that. When we come back, and we'll talk about some more uh, European sides. We'll get South America, don't worry. Our South American expert is primed um, here on this uh, special international uh, football edition of Trans-Europe Express. Next up, we'll talk about some of the other runners and riders from Europe, perhaps ones not quite as fancied as the ones we've talked about already. They might even include England. Tom has asked for this one in our uh, songs about cheats and cheating, emotional and otherwise. The Clash, of course. You could have had Cheat from their first album, a much more famous song, but this is The Card Cheat. I think it's from London Calling, isn't it? Keep your requests coming in as we continue to be very, very upset about Australia getting caught cheating at the cricket. Songs about unfaithfulness, cheating, cheaters of every kind, 81089. Tweet me directly at Danny Kelly Words. We'll get your songs on between now and 10 o'clock here on Trans Europe Express. Okay, well, I'm just giving up arguing about what constitutes a dark horse. Lee says Harry Kane. Adam says Lewandowski. James says Bobby Firmino in capital letters. Mark, I would go for Dybala. 
We're not certain in which even Argentinian forwards will go. We'll talk to Tim Vickery about that a little later. Stuart, much more, says Casper Dolberg. Lots of shouts, of course, for Diego Costa and Thomas Muller. Um, that's because of our poll is who do you think yeah. is the dark horse should, to be the golden boot? Should we just read out like the top 15 names and like the bookies and say, like, <laughs> you they can't have these guys? <laughs> that's exactly what we should do. We'll do that at 9 o'clock. We'll later read out the 15 people who currently occupy the favourites position to be the leading goal scorer in the World Cup, and you can't have those. At the moment, we've got Dries Mertens, Mo Salah, Timo Werner, Radamel Falcao, and you've got two, three ways to vote on that. All of them on Twitter, at Danny Kelly Words, at Mark Cotty, and at Talk Sport. Um, let's talk about some more of these European teams before we move on to South America a little later. Um, Poland played during the week, uh, lost to a, uh, a Moses penalty. Um, I mean, not a, not a bad Nigerian team at all, of course. Uh, but uh, uh, where, where, where do we stand with Poland? Because they're one of these teams who um, uh, I can't see them, Gab, in my head, doing very well. And yet I look at their players, and of course they're led by, by Lewandowski, and you think, well... Glick's a good player. Um, Krakowiak, despite what he's done in the last year and a half of his career, is a really, really good player. They've got players, haven't they? Yeah, good goalkeeper in, in, in Fabianski, mm-hmm. I think. Um, Zelensky's doing it. Milik's going to be back. Important, um, yeah. I think they have a good manager in Navalny. Um, you actually think he's, he's good enough that if he does well in this World Cup that... Uh, He'll be the next one through the door at Southampton or somewhere like that where we like Ooh. managers speak English but play foreign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, he's, you know, I, I think we saw it at, at the Euros as well. Like, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. Um, the downside with Poland is that this is a very tough group, I think, uh, with, uh, with Senegal, who just have so much talent. Mm-hmm. You know, Colombia, who we said are feast, and fa- feast or famine. And, and Japan, who maybe aren't at the level they were at before, but, you know, um, it can be a tough out as well. So uh, that would be that would be my concern. Yeah, we spoke about Japan last week, actually, and uh, neither Kagawa nor Okazaki, arguably their two most uh, obviously uh, famous players, are getting in the team currently. The manager doesn't it doesn't like them. He particularly doesn't like Okazaki for some reason. Probably works too hard. I don't know. <laughs> too hardworking, too, too unselfish for the team um, to, to get into the Japan uh, side. Um, and then, of course, we got uh, to, we uh, we can move on if we quickly, if I may, to uh, Holland. The game against Holland against England. Now, I was being a little bit um, uh, mischievous when I said that compared to the game between Spain and Germany, that I wasn't sure that we were watching the same level of football. Um, and we know how that the problems that Holland have got. Um, but I must admit, for an England team that looked weird on paper, I thought they did very well by the standards of England teams. Kept the ball well. I could see how they were trying to defend, and I could see how they were trying to get the ball forward. Um, but I can't work out, Gab, but I should be excited that they played reasonably well and won the game. Or should I be going, what, again, England are going to a major tournament, experimenting a few weeks before the tournament starts? Well, I mean, I think if Gareth Southgate were here, he'd tell you, well, Danny, I've actually played the back three for a while. Yeah, but not with um, fullbacks playing in it, you haven't. But Kyle Walker, what, what do we need labels for? Kyle Walker is above all a, a, a defender. Um I mean, you know, it's different when Dyer's in there. I, I think what you what you lose is, you know, I, I think you basically, you have to play a front three, and you assume it's going to be Kane, Star, Sterling, and Dele Alli. That means you've got two slots in midfield, and it's Dyer and one other dude. Yeah. Whoever it is, it's not going to be somebody who's going to provide you a lot of creativity. Um, and with a two-man midfield against teams that play a three-man midfield, 
you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, and so it's so important to have a center back who can step into the midfield and, and build play. And, and that's that's the question mark. You and, know? That, and that's that's Stones, I guess. The problem is you need more than one guy because otherwise the opposition just gets their big center forward and just parks them, you know, on Stones' backside. And then and then it's Maguire or yeah. Walker. And so, you know. Well, Kyle is not a great player with the ball at his feet. He's great at running with the ball, but he's not a great passer of the ball. Maguire is, is better than people give him credit for, I think. I, I think he's very good. Yeah. But, again, you're asking him to do a job that he doesn't really do that often for Leicester, not because he can't, but because of the way Leicester play. And then you're asking him to make the adjustment to a back three, which he's obviously played before, but it was, it was it's different than this back three. It's a question of, you know, can you learn all this in the space of three weeks? Can they stay fit? Because then if they go out and then you've got, you know, Smalling or Jones or Kale coming in, it's different. So, you know. Yeah, and, and uh, there, were, there were things about it that I thought worked well. I, I had real doubts about Kyle Walker playing at centre-back, in, you know, nominally. But, of course... If you do like like Aspilicueta, if you do play fullbacks or centre back, when they get drawn supposedly out of position, they're suddenly very comfortable, aren't they, out on the touchline? Absolutely. So you get you get swings and roundabouts, but you get balances. But again, as we saw when was it when Chelsea played Spurs earlier this year, when you've got the little fullback playing as a centre half, and, Ali gets and you have the big that, yeah, yeah, and then you know you play Belgium, and then it's you know, and then Lukaku stomping on on Walker, and then what you know, so there's always there's always give and take. I, I, I to me. I think if England have a fit, happy, productive Kane up front, um, I think you can go far. If something goes awry there, then you've got an issue. Look, every game is live here on Talk Sport. Every single game. We'll be doing a, a number of big preview shows here on Trans Europe Express as well across the station as well. But I just want to remind you again, of course, there are other European teams we want to talk about. We can talk uh, about uh, Denmark and uh, the effect that Ericsson and even uh, Nicholas Bentner may have on them. Serbia have got one of the great rising talents in world football in Milinkovic Savic. Um, Sweden are what Sweden are. They're always difficult to beat. They produce. Here are our 11 giant players. Come on in, do your worst. Zlatan might be who knows he could easily be coaxed out yeah, hold that please level five thank you ah you must be one of our new interns yeah hi nice to meet you hi now the most important thing to know is to urge in the bypassal rise plug sale the most important thing is what sorry the single most important thing is to urge in the channelized bin bingus at the bypassal rise plug sale and you'll be fine uh yeah that sounds important does work chat all sound like gibberish to you Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
a retirement for the game. Russia are the, possibly the worst hosts I can remember ever, running up to a World Cup, Switzerland, Iceland as well. We'll try and get through all of those in much more detail as we go along. And then the second hour of tonight's programme, we'll be looking at South American teams, getting some more travel reports, where you might go to in Russia. We'll talk about, um, well, we'll have a cult hero for you as well, as well as going back to having, having a moment when um, the, all the big clubs are resting. We'll talk about exactly what's going through their minds with Gabriel Marcotti and me, Danny Kelly, here on Trans Europe Express. And we know it's a Sunday night. You could be doing anything. So we're very glad to have you along for the ride. We love your company. Yeah, welcome back to the second hour of Trans Europe Express. The first time I think the show has ever been threatened with protests and boycotts by the listeners because of our stupid poll about the dark horse to be the goal-scoring hero of the upcoming World Cup in Russia. I'll tell you about that in just a second. Just to say that in this hour, we'll be going over to South America to get the latest on the five South American teams who have qualified, including Peru, of course, for the first time since I saw them in that beautiful white and red-sashed kit back in the day. Um, Argentina, Brazil, etc. We'll talk about um, Italy and the upcoming World Cup of 2026, how that's going to be decided where it's going to be. Simon Call will bring you travel as well. We've got a whole lot of stuff. Somehow we're going to shovel it all into just 55 minutes. Welcome to Trans Europe Express. Now, already, of course, we have an amazing amount of football knowledge um, and indeed chat gathered together in the studio in the form of myself, Danny Kenny. Of course, Gabriel Marcotti, who's with me here this evening. Welcome back again, Gabriel. Um, and of course, now we're going to up that even further because there are five teams qualified from South America. Let's see how they're preparing for the World Cup and get our South American football. Of course, it's a big good evening to Tim Vickery. Hi, Tim. Very good evening, uh, Dan. Good evening, Gab. You know, uh, Dan, we have uh, outdone the house martins over here on this side of the Atlantic. South America 6, Europe 0. The five qualifiers all beating European opposition. And you throw in for extra measure Chile, who didn't even qualify, winning 2-1 away in Sweden. So 6-0 for South America in, uh, in the first <laughs> lot of FIFA friendlies. Well, with all due respect to Chile, um, where, which, of those, which of those five teams do you want to start talking about them? Well, do it any way you like. You can do it alphabetical order. You can do it any right. way you like. Which, I'll start, one, I'll start with because, because I say I'm, I'm so pleased that Peru have qualified because yep. I have a memory of the team of Kubias and Hector Chumpitas in their all-white kit with a single red sash across it. Beautiful, beautiful thing in the early 70s. been a long time since I've seen uh, the Andean nation in the, uh, the, the, the World Cup. What can we expect from Peru? Well, they, they uh, played Croatia in Miami on Friday night. They won 2-0. Now, that's a huge morale boost. Not sure they fully expected it themselves. They're not great, Peru, and the, the, the draw is not easy for them. They've got Denmark, France, and Australia. The Denmark game is going to be the crucial one. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the result against Croatia gives them a great deal of confidence. What's happened with, uh, with, with Peru is uh, they've got a coach in, Ricardo Gareca, Argentine. He actually helped eliminate Peru from the 1986 World Cup. He's a kind of lanky, old-style Argentine centre forward. Looks a little bit like Cat Weasel. But he has brought a precious commodity to uh, the Peruvian national team, calm. They've been disastrous for years, and, and part of it has been just a lack of mental strength. They've collapsed like an old man into a deck chair time and time and time again. 
Gareca, he identified a, a group, an interesting group of young players, and he stuck with them through the poor results until the good results have come. So what you've got now is a side that even when the game is going against them, they don't chuck it in. They don't, they don't despair. And they, they had one or two difficult moments against uh, Croatia, played the last few minutes with 10 men and were really hanging on. But this is the kind of game that before um, that Peru would have let slip and they'd have lost heavily. So uh, I, I wouldn't expect too much from them from, from the World Cup. I'll, I'll right. be pleasantly surprised if, if, if they get out of the group. I think they are the fifth side of the South American five. But I'm more optimistic uh, after this game against Croatia than I was before. Got to ask you about uh, Argentina because I was uh, and it's subject of my Times column tomorrow, in fact. But uh, Jorge Sampaoli obviously he's got a ton of attacking uh, of attacking riches, um, and he came out before the Italy game where they won two 0 He hasn't called up DiBala and and Icardi, and he said to play the football I want, I need time to work with players. I don't have time, so I either get players who are natural fits for what I want to do, uh, or otherwise I call up somebody else, and implying that Dybala and Icardi aren't going to be a part of it. Maybe even Aguero and Higuain, who've, you know, they've only started two games each in the nine that Sampaoli's been in charge. And then he said, but really, this isn't my team. This is Messi's Messi team. team. Yeah. Um, you know, this is more Messi's team. It's, it's, it's all about him. Are you a bit surprised that, that he'd come out and say that, given how... Uh, he's such a tactical manager, such a such a uh, schematic manager. From what we we saw with 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 Chile, it's all about the system and the collective. Well, Argentina have been something of a shambles. I mean, to, to be fair to him, the first thing he did when he, he was made coach last year was go with the Icardi and DiBala, uh, and they weren't even mediocre. They were absolutely terrible. I'm really terrible. So he's, he's had to look at other things, and DiBala uh, has made it very clear that he finds it difficult to 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 play with Messi. But uh, and the problems are bigger than that. I mean, when, when Sampoli did that work very successfully with Chile, he inherited a team that Marcelo Bielsa had formed, uh, and it, everything was all there for him. He just needed to add a, add a little tweak here and there. It's been a totally different situation with Argentina without a lot of time to work. Now, what he would really like to do, his ideal formation is a back three. He wants to press up high in your half of the field. He wants to create two against one situations down the flanks. So he was going with a back three. Now, in their last game in November against, against Nigeria in Russia, opponents they will be meeting in the World Cup, that absolutely collapsed. Three problems. Um, the midfield didn't press. The back three are slow, and so they drop so far back and allow the opposition so much space. Uh, and uh, he doesn't have wing backs, so he was playing wingers there and expecting them to run back 80 metres and defend. The whole thing collapsed. So now we're looking at something different. Against Italy, he went with a, with a more orthodox back four. He's testing, and he's still at a stage now where he's testing. We still don't know how they're going to play and who, and, and who um, is, is, is going to be in the, the, the team. But he, he used full backs and an orthodox back four. Whether you can get away with Fazio uh, against World Cup opposition in your back four, I really don't know. Whether those full backs are good enough, because Italy were, Italy were very, very poor. Um, but but um, they could have scored goals. Um, probably Argentina's best player was uh, a fellow who's had to wait until he's totally bald to make his international debut, Willy Caballero, the goalkeeper who's now a reserve at Chelsea. Um, they face Spain on Tuesday. I imagine he will give another test to this back four with these full-backs, Bustos at right-back, Taliafico at left-back, 
Uh, and uh, it'll be really interesting to, to see how Argentina shape up against a team with such a strong model and identity of play against a team that retain possession as well as, as, uh, as Spain. Now, Sampaoli was saying after the game that they're beginning to take steps in the right direction. But, you know, bearing in mind that we're 80 days or so away from the big kickoff, uh, he still has an awful lot of work to do to work out what kind of side he's going to produce that uh, enables him to get the best out of Messi and co. Well, we, if we can safely assume that, um, you know, Messi's obviously guaranteed to, to go yeah. and to start. Um, yeah. I, certainly the indications I had is that Biglia is another guy who's, who's going to be there uh, in, mm-hmm. in the middle of the park. That's kind of a hint that we won't see the, the kind of pressing football that, that we saw before because Biglia is kind of immobile in, in front yeah. of the back four, right? Yeah, yeah, true. Um, they did press a little bit better against Italy. In fact, one of the goals came from, from winning, the ball, winning the ball high up. They were a little bit more, more compact. Um, but as, as, as we said, and as I'm sure you saw, Gab, I mean, Italy looks uh, very much like a team that failed to make the World Cup. So and how Argentina's new model of play stands up against Spain uh, will be very interesting to see. It'll be very interesting, inter- interesting to see where their morale is after the game. And Sampol is saying, and this is indicative of, of the state that Argentina are at, He's saying he doesn't want to play these games. He, he didn't really want to play Italy, doesn't really want to play Spain. He certainly doesn't want to go to Tel Aviv to face Israel a few days before the World Cup. He would rather spend this time on the, on the training ground. So it is, there is an element of panic stations there with Argentina. They're going to be one of those teams in the World Cup you can't take your eye off because if it all goes right with that collection of, uh, of attacking talent, watch out. But there is the potential for everything to go wrong as well, especially with that defensive unit. Tim, when the draw was made, Group A, of course, I'm not suggesting heated balls, the hosts, um, Russia, um, will have been thrilled with their draw, Saudi Arabia, Egypt and Uruguay, but I actually think that's a great draw for Uruguay. Certainly is, certainly is, and Uruguay are uh, uh, brick by brick are building a very, very interesting house. When Uruguay, just a few months ago, were in complete disarray. The model just wasn't working anymore. Um, you know, the, the model of, of, of hanging on grimly, almost like sometimes a uh, a 9-0-1 formation when you hang on grimly and just hope that Suarez or maybe Cavani could come up with something living on scraps. It wasn't working anymore because the midfield were too old to protect the, uh, protect the defence. So what they've done, and you and I have this, this process from the under-20s. They probably do it better than anyone in the world. Identify talents in their youth ranks and groom them and bring them through. And they've just completely renewed their midfield now. Uh, and they've got them for the first time in, in, in years, and maybe maybe a, a, a more talented team now potentially than, than the one that went to the one that won at Wembley just before the 1990 World Cup with Francescoli and Co, with Valverde and Betancourt and Torreira who just got into the side from from uh, from, from Sampdoria. They've got a midfield now that can protect, that can hold possession, and that can feed the strikers. Uh, and uh, the draw has been pretty kind to them. I mean, Egypt is a potential banana skin in the first game, but the draw is working nicely. Uh, and uh, now they're up in China at the moment. They play Wales in a few hours. They beat the Czech Republic 2-0 on Friday. Now that they've, that they've, uh, that they've uh, renewed their midfield, they're playing higher up the field. What's the next step? More defensive pace. So they've now just changed their fullbacks. Uh, Varela, Guillermo Varela 
who came, I think, prematurely to United, but is a, is a good player, is getting a chance at, at, at right-back. Lachalt of, of Genoa is getting a chance at left-back. Quick players who can cope with the, with the breakdown in possession in, in the opponent's half of the field and can get back quickly. So it's all working very nicely for, for, for Uruguay. be interested to see how this, uh, these Uruguayan youngsters cope with the individual talents they have Gareth Bale. Um, in a few hours' time, because Bale seems very motivated to win this trophy for his country. Good practice, perhaps, for, for Uruguay to, to line up against Mo Salah in that World Cup yeah. opener. But, Tim, but certainly things looking good for Uruguay. Can I ask you about uh, Colombia? I said it's often feast or famine. Um, I guess the good news is James is going to be pretty well-rested um, come the World Cup. And, and Falcao's banging in the goals at club level. How's it coming together with the national side? Well, they've been consistently disappointing ever since the last World Cup. Um, they used 45 players in qualification, which is indicative of the fact that Peckerman hasn't known either his side or his formation or anything. Uh, and recent results haven't been particularly good. So it was a very, very high-risk game, the friendly in Paris against France. And after 25 minutes, you're thinking, this is a total disaster. They were 2-0 down. France were rampant. Um, one of their problems is the goalkeeper, Ospina, who's their only top-class goalkeeper. But inactivity at Arsenal is really taking its toll, and he's finding new and more bizarre ways to throw the ball into the back of his own net. And he dropped another brick. Um, uh, so they're 1-0 down because of that. Up front, Falcao, he only functions front to goal. He can't... Uh, if, if you play up to him, the ball doesn't stick, so they kept on losing possession. So after 25 minutes, you're thinking, this is an absolute disaster. This couldn't be possibly be worse. A little bit of uh, reorganisation, some, some, some positional changes, a little bit of good fortune to get a, a, a goal back straight away, and France dropping off alarmingly in the second half, and Colombia come out of it was a, with a 3-2 win, their first ever win against France, and suddenly morale is absolutely flying. Um, there's been far more potential there than achievement over, over the last few years. If, if they can build on, on the success um, of, of this win against France then uh, watch out for them maybe repeating four years ago and reaching the quarterfinals. And Tim, I'm afraid that we've left ourselves very little time to talk about Brazil. Uh, so one question only, does he know his starting eleven? Yeah, he does, and he knows, he knows some variations as well. Um, things going very nicely. He had a great half-time. Remember, first game against European opposition after, after flying through all the South Americans, nil-nil at Wembley, defensive opposition, but England could have snatched it at the end. Half-time against Russia, it's a similar pattern, a little bit worrying. A little bit of tweaking at half-time with positional changes. The ball starts flying, 3-0, terrific morale-boosting win. Um, but let's defer a little bit of judgment until, until we see them on Tuesday night against, Wednesday, against, uh, against Germany. But certainly for me, Brazil up, up among the favourites with the likes of Germany and Spain. And who, finally, Tim, did you vote for in our poll? Who's likely to be the dark horse, to be the golden boot winner? Mertens, Salah, Werner or Falcao? Um, when I was, whenever I've been asked who's going to be the top goal scorer, I've always gone with Lukaku. Can I go with him as a... Can, he's as not a dark, dark horse. horse. No, he's not a dark horse. Um, uh, so, who who right. are my options? Uh, Mertens, Salah, Werner and Falcao. Uh, I still want to go with Lukaku. OK, well, thank you very much indeed, Tim. <laughs> so many people are saying that. Listen, these are the 15 favourites you can't vote for. Messi, Neymar, Griezmann, Kane, Ronaldo, Jesus, Lukaku, Muller, Werner, 
He's in the poll, but he's not sure. We're not sure he'll start, so he's okay. Morata, Suarez, Aguero, Higuain, and Cavani, and Lewandowski. You have to be outside of those. If you want to moan at us about other players, happy to take those as well. Leroy Sane's not in there. For instance, there's a good person you might want to moan about to us here at Trans Europe Express. You are very good with your songs about cheating and cheating. This is for Gaza, who's a Villa fan. Um, who's got in touch with us on, on text. They want Shaggy, and it wasn't me. Marcotti is, can sing this. He's lip-syncing the whole thing. No, I was actually just um, just thinking. Can you do the... Usher Confessions too? There's a lot of words in that. I wanted to stick to Shaggy, because right, James huh? Corden... I want to give props to, to one of your fellow countrymen. Go on then. James Corden did a version of this involving the President of the United States. It's called Wasn't Me. Yes. Okay. You, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Listen, thank you very much indeed. Songs about cheats and cheaters, unfaithfulness, as we continue to, with a heavy heart, to draw attention to Australia getting caught out in the cricket overnight. And uh, the Australian Prime Minister man he weighed in so it's going to be worse for Smith and Co when the government have had, had to say their say you can get your request in 81089 and uh, directly to me at Twitter Danny Kelly words shaggy mix in, in, in radio as we say it's time for our cult footballer incredible incredible Zlatan Ibrahimovic Yeah, the cult footballer today is somebody who only barely played in Europe, but he, he uh, most of his games in Europe, in Europe were for, well for a very large club indeed. But he's because of our work, it's international weekend. We wanted to bring your attention to a player. I actually saw him play in the flesh. It wasn't a million years ago, but uh, we're going to talk about Ali Day today. Is that, I, hope, I hope pronouncing his name correctly. The Iranian footballer, very tall, centre forward, brilliant in the air, um, who um, scored 109 international goals in 149 appearances for Iran. I, I don't think that's quite, that's no longer the record for an international appearance, but it's still very much the record for international goals. And the person who is hunting him down, of course, is Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah. Up to, he only needs 28. To catch up with them, and obviously knowing Cristiano, he'll will probably play until he's fifty. And, and well, they'll change the rules so he can come on and take the penalties, won't they? <laughs> but I, I was thinking about it. I okay, joking aside about Cristiano, yeah. you know that he knows what the record is, absolutely, one hundred percent. But I I'm thinking he's also probably looking behind him at Messi and, and ne- Neymar, who scored a ton of goals at international level, and thinking like, right, I can't just beat this dude. I need to put enough between me and Messi and Neymar to make sure that, you know, they don't catch us. Well, look, Ali, Ali Day uh, started, as you would expect, with uh, local clubs in Iran. Uh, wonderful names. Uh, Bank Tejarat, Persepolis, Al Sad, before coming to Germany. Um, he played for Armenia Bielefeld for one season um, before he came to the attention of no less than Bayern Munich um, because they, they they often they often like to have a proper target man to Bayern Munich, and he went there. The Karsten Yanker role, absolutely. And you could name a dozen of them over the years, couldn't you? But Karsten Yanker is kind of the he's the ultimate. king of it. Yeah, he's the you king. You know, he of it. played an entire season for Bayern Munich when he was starting 
without scoring a goal, which is really difficult to do. Yeah, oh, I, I think I, even now I'd score for at least once for Bayern, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Um, and then he went to Hertha Berlin and went back then um, to play in in Iran uh, for Al Shabab. Uh, Al Shabab, uh, sorry, that must be the Al Shabab in Egypt. Uh, Persepolis again, and a wonderfully named Sabah Battery. Now, the fact of the matter is, though, for about ten years, you could hardly watch international football without Iran popping up with him playing. I mean, I've seen him play in the flesh, to my own amazement. Uh, I was at the game in, I think it was Lyon, uh, between the United States of America and Iran in the 1998 World Cup. I'll make no bones about it, Gab. The most extraordinary atmosphere in which I've ever watched a football match. People have heard me talk about it before. Um, when you got into the ground, it was, it was hardly a woman to be seen in the ground. That was the first thing I noticed. Um, but we got talking to some people who lived in London, and they were dissidents who'd been fired out of the country by the Islamic uh, Republic. And they were, saying, they, were, they, were, they were saying to us, myself and Danny Baker, who were there together, they said, we... Um, you can tell very quickly. He said, "Everybody, I'll tell you how this works. Everybody without a moustache is a, is a dissident and has a, is a refugee out of Iran. Everyone with a moustache is Secret Service from Iran <laughs> right. over here to keep an eye on us." The game, Gav, was about to start, um, and you know we hear about the political situation with uh, with Pep Guardiola's ribbon. The game's about to start. Everybody without moustache took off their outer garment to reveal. A, a T-shirt with a young Shah on it. A balloon floated across the pitch carrying a flag with a young Shah on it. In Tehran, they cut off the power, made out there'd been a power cut. They cut off the television and made out there'd been a power cut because they can't have this being seen. The game went on in the most ferociously nutty atmosphere I've ever, I've ever encountered at a football match. It was just great. The people who were dissidents, who were next to us, they were supporting both teams. They were going, Iran, USA, because they're Iranian, and the only hope they felt of <laughs> restoring the Shah was if the USA came to their aid. Um, Ali Dia did not score. A very good player called Mardavikia, who also went on to play in Germany, um, got the goal. Um, and some years later, on Channel 4 television, I said to, to Casey Keller, do you know, Casey, I was at that game when you let that goal in um, from Mardavikia. I was about 15 yards away from you. I said, that must be the nuttiest atmosphere you've ever played football in. And he fixed me, the Keller, and went, Danny, I've played at Millwall for four years. And that was his response to, the, to, the, to that question. Um, but Ali Dia went on there. And he, as I say, it's easy because Iran is not a world power at football to, to, to underplay this. But I think 109 goals against national sides, he deserves a huge credit. And, will, and of course, he managed the, the, the country as well. I think, I think he, he definitely deserves his place as a cult footballer. I think so. Because, I mean, obviously, it's a combination of playing for a, um, a team that's dominant in a confederation, which, especially in, mm-hmm. in those years, uh, really wasn't wasn't that good. Now, you know, if, if you go and you play Thailand and whatnot, it's an interesting list. You can see it in, in, on Wikipedia. Um, and it kind of strikes you because Pushkas is, is number two on the list. Um and then you've got Muller, and then the people around him. There's this guy from Thailand. There's yeah. a Japanese guy, Kumamoto, I think. And you kind of, but but it is kind of a reminder that you know this is this is a global list, and this is international football, and nobody's saying that this guy's a greater footballer no. than Cristiano. Um, but but he occupies he a place in more Chris- goals than Cristiano in international. And he football. occupies a place in Cristiano Ronaldo's dreams, and that's why he's a cult footballer to be taken seriously. Incredible, incredible Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Oh, that's magnificent. Get it back up. Get it back up. Get it back up. Get it in, get it 
Time now for the part of the programme where we continue to look at the cities and the stadiums that will host the games in the upcoming World Cup in Russia. Every game live here on Talk Sports. Simon Calder, of course, is Britain's leading uh, travel writer and broadcaster. And today he turns his attention to the city of Samara. Stadion. Stadium. Samara Arena. As far as I can see, this was the very last one in the tournament to start being built as recently as the 21st of July 2014. Not yet complete when it is the stadium, which is in the Radio Centar district, will look like a cross between a flying saucer and an airport terminal. Only it holds rather more people, 45,000 to be exact. The design is supposed to be inspired by space. We'll have a look at that. Um, FC Krylia Sovietov are the club lucky enough to be taking over and leaving behind their current stadium, which has the marvellous name of Metalurg. Matches to see. Six matches will be held in Samara, starting on the 17th of June with Costa Rica versus Serbia. 21st, Denmark, Australia. 25th, oh, the crowds are going to be in for that one. Uruguay, Russia. 28th of June, Senegal, Colombia. Then you've got a round of 16 game on the 2nd of July and a quarterfinal on the 7th. Rating Путешествий Токспорта. Talksport travel rating. The Russian drinking song is about Samara. It goes, Oh, Samara, the little town, I am so restless. Give me some rest. Not quite roll out of the barrel, is it? Anyway, um, the top site is the Riverside Jiguli Brewery. And you might recall the slogan that was um, used when the brand was originally brought to Britain. Grab a Russian, buy Jigulis. You can see what they're doing there. Anyway, grab a room at the Bristol Jiguli Hotel, located, it says, simultaneously in the historic and business centre of the city. After that, go and have a look at Stalin's bunker, built for him just in case the eastern front of World War II reached Moscow. And Samara was designated as the Soviet Union's second capital city. A thousand convicts dug 120 feet below ground underneath the Academy of Culture and Art. Apparently, after they built the uh, uh, bunker, they were all shot, so they couldn't tell anybody how annoying that would be. Anyway, you can eat at Staraya Kvatira, where you go in through a souvenir shop into what feels like someone's old flat. And someone's old flat is going to be about the best you're going to be able to do if you want some cheap accommodation rather than jigoulis. The tra- TalkSport travel rating out of five, well, I think a fairly generous three for the fine city of Samara. Cheating. Did you know lies can be seen in 
We haven't got time for a musical lecture. Let's just say that this is the impressions um, led by the Nimsville Curtis Mayfield setting down the template for every soul harmony group that followed over the next 50 years. Impressions and you've been cheating. Songs about cheats and cheating as we continue, as I say, to um, try and draw a veil and bring to an end the endless discussion about Australia's cricket team. You can uh, get your request into 81089 and tweet me directly at Danny Kelly Words. Go, Curtis. See, now I want to build a TARDIS to go back to Chicago in the 19, early 1960s just to see that being recorded. Gabriel Marcotti is still very much here with me for the last uh, 25 minutes of. Uh, tonight's edition of Trans Europe Express, and uh, let's go close to home for you, because obviously um, the biggest loss uh, to, for the World Cup, uh, you know, it's, it's a tournament, so you go, you go out. But I, I'm almost impossible to imagine a World Cup without Italy. Uh, for a start, I don't know who's going to have the best shirt now, because you can always <laughs> Italy always had the best shirt. That's just a rule. That's an absolute hard and fast rule of world football because they keep it simple. They keep it simple. Um, they played during the week. They lost a two nil to Argentina. Um, you know, and you might expect that, but there's been a lot talked about the general health of Italian football because of this catastrophic failure to qualify for uh, the World Cup. I'm not sure. It's, looking at the team that played against um, uh, Argentina and some of the players they've got in reserve, I'm not sure that it's quite as bad as everyone's painting it. No, and I don't. I mean, we we heard. Uh, I mean, Tim Vickery was was very down on on Italy. I don't think. I mean, they were they weren't good in the first half. Neither side was, but. I thought they were, I thought they were okay overall. I mean, given the situation, given that you've got an interim manager, and Gigi Di Biagio, and the way he wants to play, he's got two attacking fullbacks, and um, you know he's thinking to to rebuild around Verratti and and, and Insigne. Um, we gave Federico Chiesa a debut. He's, a, I think, a really exciting, uh, exciting player uh, out on the wing. Chiro Mobile started up front and. He can miss a lot of goals, but you know he's not the only guy that that we have. There's there's Belotti who, when fit, um, can be prolific. Jorginho in the middle of the park can 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 spread the ball. Lots and, of Premier League teams spying on him. Yeah, and and it's nice having you know three central midfielders. You know, two of the three can play. Barolo is maybe more of a defensive guy, but he can get forward. Uh, he can shoot on goal. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's that bad at the back. You know. Uh, there was no Chiellini. Bonucci started. I think you can get you know another Euro out of him, but you know behind him, there's people like Romagnoli, people like Caldara, who I think are are really really good center backs. Um, the one thing is, at some point, we're gonna have to say goodbye to to Gigi Buffon. And here he is, having retired after the game against Sweden. Here he is. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why he was called, and they got some criticism. If you want to give him a proper send off. Then just say, All right, we're going to have a Gigi Buffon game and make yeah. a whole ceremony out of it um, and and do that. But for me, you know, Donnarumma should have been playing or or, or, or Mattia Perin or one of the other goalkeepers who, who are likely to be there for, for Euro 2020 because you have to think in those terms now. Gab, now that the dust has settled slightly, you know, and uh, it, the first week and a half afterwards, I tre- checked <laughs> the Italian newspaper and you were getting, there was no analysis. There was just breast beating about it. Now that the dust is settling slightly, what are people in, in, in and around Italian football saying about their failure to qualify? Is it systemic with the 
the way that Serie A is turning out players or, or something else? I don't think it's systemic. The under-21 side is really good. I think but, but I think it was systemic before, but I think the players are coming through. I think this was a case of, you know, <laughs> we've been through this, yes, but and, 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 it was a case of, of Somebody neglecting. had to play Spain in that group. <laughs> well, yeah, and we found ourselves, Italy found themselves in this situation because they completely neglected friendlies and mm-hmm. they acted as if the FIFA rankings didn't matter. Uh, and so as a result, they weren't a top seed. And when you're not a top seed, you run the risk of being in a group with Spain or Germany who are clearly a notch above you. And then you finish second. And then you got to go through the qualify. Uh, you you got to go through the, the playoffs. And as it happened um, in the playoffs, you can run into, you know, a- anything can happen over two legs against any team in the world. And, yeah. and that's what happened. What about the, the managerial situation? As you say, they've got a, a temporary manager at the moment. Is that any nearer to... Um, Resolving itself, or I mean, I know they've got plenty of time to resolve it. Um, what what do people? Who do people want to be the next Italian manager? Well, there's there's talk. Some people are talking about bringing back Conte. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, there's talk of of Mancini, uh, of of Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I think from Ancelotti's perspective, he's a bit reluctant because this is one of the other problems: is uh, we don't have anybody leading the FA right now um, because of the highly democratic way that um, the, the head of the FA is elected. Uh, you had three candidates and you had a three-way split and nobody reached 50%. Uh, and it was a very bitter, divisive election. So um, so right now, there's nobody leading the FA. And Do you have a favor? Who would you like to take Italy forward towards the qualification for the next Euros? Um. I think if Ancelotti wants to do it, I think he would do. He'd do a great job. I think he sees himself in club management again. I think also there's a perception anyway that he might be a bit better with uh, with older, more experienced players. And you know, right now, obviously, what Italy needs is to is just to push more of these uh, these youngsters through. I don't think Gigi Di Biagio, who's the current interim boss and with the under twenty one guy, I don't think he'd be. Uh, I don't think he'd be he'd be a terrible choice. Um, you know, two years is a long time. Uh, qualifying for the Euros is not particularly difficult. I'd almost rather let's give this guy a whirl, see if he brings the kids through. If things don't work, you can always replace them later. In time for the next World Cup, yeah. Well, or, or even in time for the Euros. You know, you don't sure. have to wait for the okay. Euros and embarrass yourself because, you know, odds are, I mean, you have to be pretty darn bad to not qualify. You know, now that's a 2014 <laughs> tournament, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, no, I know. I certainly wouldn't portion say we have to have Ancelotti at, at this stage and we'll get more uh, view of what how Italy are if not progressing at least recovering from the calamity that befell them against uh, Sweden when they take on England on Tuesday night uh, in course in another important World Cup warm-up for England that game is live here on Talk Sport which takes us I mean Gab we're, we're moving fast through life here um, we know how the the extraordinary events that led to Russia and Qatar getting two World Cups on the same day. And we both know what tremendous decisions they were um, by the people at FIFA. Well, I think uh, perhaps under the smokescreen of the upcoming World Cup, the great organisation has started it's getting itself together to pick the host for 2026. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I, I have a, I actually wrote a piece on this, uh, which should be coming out this week for uh, on, on ESPN. Um, I went back, and, and other people have done this. Being disgraceful. I, so, no words. 
Well, what, what's interesting is, so in 2026, you've got what they call the United bid, which is United States, Mexico, and Canada, mostly the United States. Um, and they thought, oh, it's going to be pretty plain sailing. I think it's, I think FIFA looked upon this very favorably for two reasons. Obviously, it would be a hugely lucrative World Cup, hosting it in a big, wealthy country uh, like the United States and, and Canada and Mexico as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, owing to a whole other snafu, um, when they sold the rights to 18 and 22, the most valuable TV rights in the world are the Spanish-language U.S. rights. The second most valuable rights by far are the, um, the, the U.S.-English-language rights. And they, of course, sold them to Fox News. Oh, sorry, to Fox News. Sorry, to Fox. Wow, Freudian. Um, that was. And then, of course, we found out, well, you can't play in the summer in Qatar uh, because it would be insane and cruel. We're going to move it into the winter. And then Fox said, well, wait a minute. Our contracts of the summer, we might have bid differently had it been, um, had we known that it was going to be a Winter World Cup because it goes up ahead up against the NFL and Absolutely. our other properties. And so I think this is an open secret. They, and it wasn't just them, I think Australia as well, um, they threatened to sue. And so Seb Blatter, before he left, said, all right, all right, all right, let's fix this. Let's sell you the rights to the 2026 World Cup as well. And then Fox, quite cleverly, it's been reported since then, said, well, 2026, that's great, but it's more valuable if it's in the U.S. And FIFA said, yeah, we're pretty sure it'll be in the U.S. Uh, if it isn't in the U.S., we'll pay you back $300 million. Okay. Um, and then out of the blue comes Morocco saying, you know, they've bid on the World Cup many times before. They were screwed out of it in, in, in really an in, in awful way in 2006 uh, by New Zealand. Who, the guy Charles Dempsey, I think was his name. He changed his vote and or he abstained at the, at the last minute. Um, but uh, – and people say, well, how, how would you take Morocco seriously? Well, um, I mean, ESPN, my colleague Sam Borden reported and I – confirm this people at FIFA are saying you know if the vote were today uh, Morocco could well win because of course people block vote right so you've got this time around it's the entire um, all the FIFA member nations are going to be voting so you know there's 50 odd in Africa already they're going to obviously support Morocco Uh, there's some European countries on the Med who will support Morocco because of tourism and whatnot. sure there's concerns that the Russian bloc will Support Morocco, and there you've got the Tajikistan, all the stands, yeah. and also Belarus. Anybody with it, any but Ameri- anywhere but America vote, yeah. Precisely, and uh, you know South America will probably go with CUS now, but there's only a there's limited number of countries. There's only ten votes, and yeah. they've been yeah. known in the past to kind of sell themselves to the highest bidder. Um, and in Africa, it's right, and and in Asia, you know, it's it's very much it's it's very much split. It's very much up in the air, so. All of a sudden, you know, the, what they thought was going to be a guaranteed thing, the United bid, uh, they got to basically work their socks off to make sure that, uh, that they can do it, that they're going to vote on it just before the World Cup um, in, in June in, uh, in Moscow. Um, and it would be utterly r- remarkable if, 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 you get, if Morocco went out. Um, and it would be remarkable for another reason, too. And whatever you think of this FIFA president, Johnny Infantino, he inherited Russia and Qatar. You know, he did not. He he inherited this kind of giant pile of of controversy and whatever. Two World Cups that, you know, are polarizing. If political issues aren't going to be as lucrative as as past ones, you know, he's hoping to make up for it with a North American World Cup. And now Morocco, 
you get a whole raft of other questions as well. Should be fascinating to see which way that goes. I mean, the, the, the United bid um, does give you the economic power of the United States. And in Mexico, of course, they can say, and here is a proper football country um, to add to the mix as well. Um, so we'll be looking out for that. Thank you very much for giving us the latest background. So that when we come back, I think we'll have a little look at uh, some club matters now, having spent the last hour and three quarters here on Trans Europe Express uh, doing international football. And of course, next week, when the clubs are all back and playing, we'll be getting back to our normal service here on TalkSport on a Sunday evening. But I've been looking at you Looking closely at the Genius. Big L Laguna. You're a genius, sir. Back to the golden age of the British charts and uh, Sherbet, of course, and how's that? Which combines infidelity and cheating with a cricket phrase. I always want to play this through to the next course. Let it play in the background. We'll cut out for the... Uh, we'll even talk about European football. Gab and I will be talking about European football getting you into the uh, studio Gabrielle um, for the first time since the Champions League draw was made well done Big L mate thank you very much indeed thank you all for the help with the musical homework Um, first of all as uh, we all know um, you sometimes raise uh, a very sort of biblical eyebrow I know you're becoming a biblical man these days in the direction of Bayern Munich so I'm sure you were delighted when they pulled not Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Roma or Manchester City out of the hat but Sevilla Amazing how they managed <laughs> to do that uh, and then look, let's be fair to Bayern I thought last year they were a bit less lucky in the Real Madrid game and some of the refereeing and the offside goals so um, you know, maybe they were due, but yeah, they are heavy f- favorites against Sevilla. But you know, let's hope the little airplane can fly. Well, to be fair to, to Bayern Munich as well, they, in, in the Champions League, they do look like a very decent team. Yeah, they don't, I, have, to, they don't have to do anything special look, to win the Bundesliga just now. I make a more serious point about Bayern. Yeah, um, and I I watch them almost every week. Um, I'd be a little bit concerned because what Jupp Heynckes has done is he's kind of continually rotated the team. Um, it's almost like he just wants to keep everybody happy. It's almost like when you're little, like everybody plays, let's all take turns. I wonder if if they're going to suffer, if there's going to be a lack of chemistry, if there's going to be, you know, the, the first leg, if, if something goes wrong, some of the guys will leave out, they're going to moan, you know, Ribery and Robin, obviously. Uh, their contract's expiring. Could that then have a, the, the fact that Heinkes has said he doesn't want to return, the manager hunt for next year, all these things, all this controversy, could it build up and somehow... And somehow derail them. That, that's kind of what I think you have to hang your hat on if you're if you're if you want an upset from this. Oh, and Mourinho, of course, said most of the Seville guys would get into the absolutely. IP, so they, I make them because of, I pay attention to everything Mourinho says. I make them sh- very short favourites. Sevilla, but all their great players <laughs> would walk into Manchester United's team. Um, Juventus against Real Madrid. Um, it's like going. It's like a recurring dream of the final of the Champions League over the past few years. Yeah, and a lot of people have this at fifty-fifty. I don't know. I to me, Real Madrid are 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 favorites. Absolutely. Um, again, what could possibly undo Real Madrid is he's had a lot of, in, in some ways, bizarrely. Even though Cristiano Ronaldo's scoring like there's no tomorrow, and he's effectively playing center forward, he's had success playing. You know, Ronaldo and, and Benzema 
up front together. I think you have to play Benzema uh, if, if you're going to play that way. Um, but if you do that, and then you've got two wingers like Asensio and Lucas Vasquez or, or Bale or whatever, then you've only got two slots of midfield. And then who do you drop? Casemiro, Kroos, Modric? You know, it's almost like they really should be playing with 13 players. Where do you put Isco? Well, that's the formula I, that's worked for them for the past two years. And so it is tricky for Zidane, I think. It, that's, I think, th- that is the thing that could undo them. First leg, inter in, he gets the lineup wrong, and then you've got kind of, you know, six days of hell where people are second-guessing, and then eventually Zidane, you know, he's been so calm until now. We always, you know, we know that he's had anger management issues in the past once or twice. Yeah. He's been, you know, maybe it's just all bottled up inside, and maybe it explodes, and... I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe he, he, he kind of gets rid of it, but he rings up Maserazzi every now and then, just shouts him down the phone. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and then, thanks for that. Thanks for that. And carries on. Who knows? If you really wanted to troll him, they could they could name they could hire Materazzi. He's out of work right now. Could hire him as an as an assistant on the bench. On the sideline, <laughs> like, absolutely. Um, let's t- talk about Barcelona and Roma. Um, uh, look, the Italian race for the title is between Na- Napoli and Juventus. Roma are an improving side, I guess, but they're not. They're, they, sh- they shouldn't have enough for Barcelona, should they? No, I think, again, that this would I would require Allison's heroics uh, in this game. The other thing is, I, I thought Chelsea played Barcelona really close, a lot closer than the scoreline suggests. Uh, people who follow the scoreline were making out it was a one-sided tie. It no, was not. It and there's even an argument that Chelsea were the better team over yeah, the two it, legs. It took individual mistakes. Um, they which, hit the which five times. And, yeah, and they hit the hit the woodwork the thing is Roma can't play that way Roma are a naturally attacking team they're a naturally expansive team <laughs> play that way against Barcelona you're taking your chances it would take Allison just you know turning into Superman and saving everything yeah inside. but one game in three he does exactly that uh, he does he does you still have you know still Fazio against Messi at the other end but mm-hmm. you know um, you, you see that as a problem do you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I think Barcelona are are comfortable favourites. And the all the all English tie. I mean, all English ties they're always dramatic. You know, I'm going right back to Nottingham Forest against Liverpool in the first round, no hot balls at all back in the day. Um, it, I mean, a horrible draw, but at least it guarantees an English side in semi final. Yes, um, obviously, you know, Liverpool beat City before, uh, and I think they're the I think they're the only team to beat. City in the 90 minutes in a quote-unquote real game. I mean, obviously, if we leave the, the cup out of it. And Wolves are winning, um, yeah. Uh, so I think that counts for something. I wonder if this is where Klopp maybe changes things up a little. If I were Klopp, I'd be so tempted to go and say, you know what, I don't like these matchups, Sané and Sterling against Robertson or TAA or mm-hmm. whoever plays a right mm-hmm. back. And I'm wondering, you know, do, do, do I change? Do I come up with some kind of mechanism to contain them? Because I think that's where you can really hurt Liverpool if you've got those people who can simply go go north-south. You've got the option, if the other team attack, you have the option of, of the long ball uh, over the top. Um, you know, City can just beat you so many different ways. Yeah, and but uh, the dynamism of Liverpool's team, by and large, I still think there's a, there's something in this time. I'm looking no forward question. to two games. Looking forward to two games hugely. No question. It should be a fantastic. And of course, I think the rest of the continent will be watching that game as well, very very closely. Let me just give you the poll result. Over thirteen thousand of you voted in the poll. Just extraordinary, really. Um, we're asking who do you think is the dark horse, not the favourite, the dark horse to be the Golden Boot winner in the upcoming World Cup. Eleven percent of you went for Radamel Falcao. 
15% went for Dries Mertens. Um, 27%, perhaps to the surprise of Gabriel Marcotti, went for Timo Werner, but winning by an absolute street here, Mo Salah, um, who will be playing up front for Egypt, of course. On digital radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, Danny Kelly's Trans-Europe Express on Talk Sports.